Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the In No Hurry podcast. I am your host, Colt Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys this week for another episode. If you were able to join us last time out with Todd and Brooke Tillman, I want to thank you for joining us as we kicked off season three of the podcast. I really enjoyed talking to Todd and his wife about Todd's journey, winning The Voice last year, and what this last year has been like for him, putting a book out and really just kind of pursuing music full-time and all that. So if you haven't checked that episode out, make sure you do that after you listen to this one. This week, I'm happy to be joined by Deborah Folletta. She is the author of a new book called Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. And so this conversation is all about mental health, why it is important, how do we prioritize certain things to make sure that our mental health is in the best state that it can be, and really just reflecting on this past year and a half with the pandemic and how so much of what happened can impact our mental health and why we need to be prioritizing that. Because I know for me personally, it's something that I know I need to do, yet I still don't uh, do it as well as I probably could. And so that is what we are talking about this week and really looking at what are the roots for why we have certain emotions and why certain areas of our life are not as healthy as others. And so I really, really enjoyed talking to Deborah this week. I think there can be times where people maybe get fatigued of hearing the conversation about mental health, but I just really feel like after this past year that we've all gone through, like it is just so important. And just like we would with our physical health or any other part of our being, it is vital that we take care of our mental health. And so I hope you're encouraged by this conversation. I hope you are inspired as well to maybe make some changes, recalibrate what you are prioritizing in your life, and maybe sort of realign your priorities and come away with some plans to really prioritize your mental health this year. So I really want to thank you for joining me this week. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here is my conversation with Deborah Folleta. Well, I'm happy to be joined by Deborah Folleta, the author of the book, Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. And before we got on to record, we both kind of asked each other, how are you doing? How are you doing? And it was just kind of the cursory doing all right. How about you? I love how you frame this book kind of with that question. And we are so quick to say we're doing okay. And as you go on to explain in this book, may not always be the case. And I guess first, welcome to the show. And uh, just kind of wanted to get your idea of how did you come up with this idea? And why did you feel like this book was important for you to write? Yeah, I would say a couple things that really, you know, came into the, the foundation of this book. The first and foremost is as a licensed counselor, I'm working with clients on a regular basis. Uh, but I've also started working with clients on a national level, meaning different pastors and leaders and teachers, people who you don't normally see or think of in the therapy world, um, but people who are really influential, but still struggling, you know, and it just was just such an eye opener um, to, to see that whether you're a pastor or a leader or a teacher whether you're a licensed counselor or a doctor, you're, you're not immune to mental health struggles. And I think a lot of times too, we make the assumption that because we're Christians, we're going to be healthy. We're going to understand how to navigate the world of mental and emotional health, but that's not how it works. So I would say, you know, looking at my clients and their needs, 
but also in my own personal life, you know, I went through my own journey of battling depression at different seasons, anxiety and panic in different seasons. And I know that being a licensed counselor doesn't make you immune. So all of these things combined, it just felt like the right time for this message. And and the interesting thing about it, I actually had this message um, in book contract form. You know, I signed a contract to write this book in 2019. So 2020 wasn't even on the horizon at that point. Like nobody knew it was coming. Um, But I just, I really believe that God knew what was around the corner and what we would need for just the right time. Yeah. As you said, I mean, I live with a, a mental health therapist and as you said, 2020, I mean, just the, the things that we saw happen to people that are in our own lives, uh, that, you know, just so many things that the isolation that it caused, you know, the, the depression that people went through, the anxiety that they went through from isolation, not having, uh, their, their normal social, uh, just things that go on in their life. Maybe some people, their jobs were impacted. What, what lasting effect do you think that the pandemic will have on our mental health as a whole? I mean, just kind of from a a holistic standpoint, kind of a 30,000 foot standpoint. I mean, obviously it was a very significant thing for all of us in different ways, but for maybe people that had not really gone through trauma or um, suffered anxiety, 2020 may have been a trigger for that. So as you, you know, we're kind of halfway through a little bit over halfway through 2021 now. And as you kind of look back on, on the pandemic and obviously we're not quite through it yet, but just 2020, especially whenever we were really shut down, what effect really did that have on people as a whole in their mental health? Well, I like to see it kind of like a volcano. You know, I talk about emotional health, almost like a volcano where there's all this pressure building underneath the surface and it's pressure from current stressors and feelings. And it's also pressure from the past. You know, maybe you've had past trauma, past pain and wounds in your life. All of these different things from the past to the present are building this pressure. And when I talk about pressure, I'm talking about all the underlying emotions. I mean, we talk about stress very vaguely. This was a stressful year, but what are all the emotions underneath that word? There's anxiety, there's fears, there's worry, there's insecurities, there's you know, the unknown of the future. And, you know, even just thinking like basic things like navigating your kids' schedules, are they going to be in school? Are they not going to be in school? What's going to happen? You know, the, the stock market, like there's so many things that are causing pressure and in the average human being, pressure is like the magma that builds underneath the surface of a volcano. And for each person, it's going to look a little different because some volcanoes, can handle more pressure than other volcanoes. It looks a little different in each person, but the key is understanding that all of these emotions happening underneath the surface are kind of like the magma that build up pressure. And eventually just like a volcano, the magma will, will come up. It'll find the point of least resistance. That's what happens. It kind of breaks through the surface. And so that's what I have been seeing happen in so many clients and so many people. It's like 2020, was the year that just brought it up to the surface in the form of an emotional explosion. And emotional explosions look different for different people. You know, for some people, it causes them to withdraw and to feel isolated, you know, to kind of pull away, maybe depression. For other people, anxiety or panic attacks. For other people, addictions, relationship problems. I mean, there's so many different ways that emotional explosion can happen. But I think the key is realizing how is this impacting me underneath the surface? 
what are the things that I, that are being triggered here? What, what are the, what are the ways this is adding to my emotional load and begin to process those things and deal with them in a healthy way? Yeah. And I, and I love, I love that image of it being a volcano, uh, just, you know, with people that, that I know in my life that, you know, significant things that happened last year were results of things that were sort of festering for years. And it wasn't just one thing, but it was kind of like the, the finally it had erupted. And I think that's a, a great image, a great way to look at that. And I think one of the things you say early on in your book, you say being in tune with your emotions, isn't something you're born knowing how to do. It's something you have to practice. My guess is, and you would know obviously much more than I would here, but my guess is some of those people that maybe their emotions were erupting, maybe they didn't know how to deal with them before that happened. And then last year was kind of like the tipping point and it erupted. I mean, I, I love that how like it is something we have to practice. And for so much of, like I'm 31 years old and so much of my life, it has been it felt taboo to talk about mental health. I feel like within the last five to 10 years, it's becoming a lot more um normalized, I guess, to talk about it. And part of that's because I, I live with a mental health therapist and I'm part of, I'm around it every day, but I do see it socially that that's being talked about more, but I still feel like there's a stigma and, and it's unfortunate. And you're saying here, we need to, we need to learn and practice how to deal with our emotions and be in tune with them. I guess, can you elaborate on that? Just how important that is? And maybe what are some practical ways that for people that don't know how to do that, yeah. what are some first steps that they can take? Yeah, I think, I think we've got to back up and realize, you know, why I say this isn't something we're born with is because it's almost like a muscle that has to be engaged. And you can come from a family where they're not really comfortable talking about emotions. I mean, certain cultures, especially family cultures, don't go there very often. And maybe the only emotion that you've seen expressed in childhood, for example, is anger. So people think that that's an emotion that they can express and they don't express all the others. They don't understand that there's so many things going on underneath the surface. Um, so the other fallacy is that people think this is a gender thing. Some people will say, well, yeah, women are better at expressing their emotions than men, but that's not true. I mean, that is, that is just a cultural narrative, but is it actually true? We have the same capacity for emotions as human beings. And not only that, when we look at the Bible, we see Jesus, a man full of emotions. You know, biblical scholars have identified over 39 emotions that Jesus expressed. And if that's not convincing enough, because people are like, well, he's, he was God, so let's not talk about that. What about David, King David in, in, in the Bible, a man with so many different emotions? I mean, this isn't a gender thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we have to realize. This is something that I have got to realize is, either a deficit or a strength. Yeah. And, and how do I learn to begin putting words to what I feel? I think that's the key yeah. is understanding that to all of these feelings, there are words to be able to identify your feelings means to label them, to put a word to them so that you can bring it out outside of yourself. And I would say we start there. We start by taking the time to stop and check in and to put words to how we're actually feeling, how different things affect us. I'm so glad you brought this up, especially the gender thing. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. I, I just today came across somebody on Twitter. I'm not going to name their name. They've got a bunch of followers. And this, you and I are talking uh, just shortly in the wake of Simone Biles, the U.S. gymnast, pulling out of the Olympics, citing her mental health. And yeah. personally, I applaud her for that. A man today tweeted that, 
men should not cry in public and that it is dishonorable and unmanly for a man to cry in public. And then went on with a series of other kind of toxic masculinity type of tweets and comments. And then I was also was dogging Simone Biles and it was this whole tirade against showing emotion. And I, I'm a, I'm a man that fully believes that for a man to be fully in tune with their manhood, it involves being able to be in tune with your emotions and express your emotions. And I'm writing a book about comparison and my own struggles with comparison. And a lot of men don't want to talk about that either. And so I think you, you you know, just how wrong is this guy to say, I mean, like, I, I, you don't have to bash him or anything, but it's like that, what what are your thoughts on that, that comment of like, men should not publicly cry or show their emotions. I just think that that just, that just perpetuates this other stigma that like men can't and shouldn't be in tune with their mental health or their emotions as well. Well, it really doesn't make sense. And ultimately yeah. to me shows an, a, an emotional immaturity, you know, yeah. like a deficit there in his life. So, you know, it's, it's funny because stuff like that used to rile me up and it probably still would, yeah. but at the same time, I find myself thinking that is sad that someone is that emotionally immature and emotionally out of tune with their own yeah. life and emotions, because this yeah. isn't a male, female issue at all. This is about learning to really have the strength to come to terms with what we feel and the emotional muscles to be able to express those things. I think it's a learned skill. I always tell people counseling is kind of like going to the gym. It's not going to the doctor because you're sick. No, let's not, let's not talk about it that way. Let's talk about it. Like I'm going to the gym to strengthen my emotional and mental muscles. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the wake of this whole Olympics thing, what if we were to applaud mental health, the way we applaud physical health, right? You know, imagine what that could do to our culture and the stigma that kind of surrounds this subject. Do you think it helps when people like Simone Biles and even Naomi Osaka, who pulled out of, I think it was Wimbledon, one of the primary tennis tournaments, they, she pulled out as well, citing her mental health. And I noticed, you know, there are a lot of people that, that were uh, talking about it on both sides of the fence there, but do you think it helps when influential, successful athletic type people or anything like the people that have a platform do step out and say like, this is something I need to take care of. Does that help at all? Or are we seeing, I mean, we're obviously seeing polarizing uh, commentary on both sides of it, but from your perspective, do you think it helps to alleviate the taboo side of this whenever we see influential people stepping out and being brave and talking about it? For sure. It, It absolutely does. I think the sad reality, especially in these cases, is we're seeing the power of mental health gone unaddressed mm-hmm. in the sense that it, it's it's taking from their life because it's not hasn't been dealt with. You know, these are the type of times when it almost breaks your heart to see yeah. mental health or lack thereof having such power in someone's life. But it's a beautiful thing to be able to acknowledge it and say, I need to stop right now. You know, maybe some people would say this is bad timing, but I need to stop right now. Maybe I should have stopped sooner, but if nothing else, I'm stopping now to take care of it. Yeah. And my hope is that we would stop even before the main event, that we would get to a place where we're constantly doing check-ins with how we're doing emotionally and mentally, not just when we reach the point of burnout. Here's the thing about it. And this isn't just for Olympic athletes. This is for all of us. We think we're okay until we're not. We just ignore it and repress it and push and keep going until we hit a wall. I want people to, to start checking in 
before they hit that wall. That's the key, you know, yeah. is, is backing up even, but even before, even when I think I'm actually doing okay, yeah. why don't I just stop and make sure? Why don't right. I just do a checkup and inventory? Yeah. But, but I do think it's a beautiful thing. In fact, one of the things I did to release the book was I did a series of on-air live counseling sessions with some of the top leaders and teachers in our, in our, you know, culture right now in our Christian culture, Levi Lusco, Christine Kane, Matt Chandler, like all these different people signed up, which was in and of itself encouraging that they were like, yeah, we trust you. Let's do this. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to share our junk in public, our journey of emotional and mental health, because they were courageous enough to want people to know that everybody's walking this journey. We just don't always talk about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Matt Chandler is one of those guys that I, that I admire, um, done a lot of his different Bible studies and that kind of stuff and, um, admire him and, and what he has to say about you'll love his and, episode. Cause it was yeah. all about dealing with childhood wounds and like how not okay. dealing with childhood wounds eventually caught up to him. And it was just a really raw, authentic look into the power of emotional and mental health or lack yeah. thereof. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I, when I look back at 2020, there were a lot of things obviously that I never want to, to have happen again. I never want to have to live through a pandemic again. But one thing that I, I think that I will be grateful for is the fact that it really did force us to slow down. I mean, the name of my podcast is in no hurry and it's about pulling back from the busy lives that we have and, and trying to, to recalibrate and 2020 allowed us the chance to do that. But I also feel like for, for, for me at least too, and uh, for some other people too, it maybe was finally a chance for them to reckon with what are the things that I have been suppressing? Because I feel like so many of the things that we use to distract ourselves, like for me, it's sports or maybe going to the movies, social things. We couldn't do a lot of those last year whenever we were shut down. And so we were forced to kind of reckon with, you know, what, what is it that I'm avoiding? What are the emotions that I'm avoiding that I usually would mask in this pursuit of, you know, whatever it may be. And so did you, I guess, when you look back at 2020, was that, was that an aspect of maybe some people finally addressing what they were going through was I don't have much to distract myself from this anymore. Yeah. I think it was a combination of life slowed down. And so I actually had time to deal with my stuff. Like it was facing me. And I also think the combination of the stress of the year brought stuff to the surface. You know, it was a year of exposure. It's like, Ooh, what's all this stuff I've been running from. Yeah. And now it's magnified even more by the stress and pressure of the year. So I definitely think it was a combination of those two things. And in so many ways we can look back at 2020 as a significant year based on what we do from this point on. Like, do we choose to heal? Do we choose to grow? Do we choose to take what we've learned and and get better? Like, can this be a defining season of our life? Because it's the year that changed everything, you know? And that's what I really hope people will see the the following years as the opportunity for healing. You know, when things are exposed, you have a chance to then heal them. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest myths is also the phrase that time heals all wounds. It's like, oh, let's just let time pass and we'll forget about 2020. That's not true either. I mean, time doesn't heal all wounds. In fact, some wounds when left with time will just get more infected, right? Some wounds are so bad 
that they will get infected when you just leave them alone. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Healing comes from how we engage with those wounds, what we do with all that stuff and how we allow God to be a part of it. You know, there, there, there's a partnership here. There's work that has to be done. And so, you know, I, I say, I call baloney on those yeah. phrases that don't actually bring us to a healthier place. Yeah. I always had a, I had a coach in high school who you, you hear people say practice makes perfect. And then I had a coach said, that's not true. You could practice wrong every single day. Right. That doesn't make it perfect. Perfect practice would make perfect. And I was like, huh? So yeah. I, I, I love kind of, you know, th those, those phrases we, we, are, we, we always follow. And it's like, actually, some of those may not be totally true. And I think that's so true. Like if you have a wound that just doesn't, you know, you're not tending to it, you know, there's no purpose in the time that you're using there, then it's hard to see how that could heal. So I think that's definitely true. Um, you, you talk about this idea in your book, kind of shifting gears here, you talk about this idea of, of kind of doing too much and sort of going back to maybe revisiting, I don't want to just hang out in the pandemic, but I know that that for some people that was a, a big benchmark for their mental health. But for a lot of us, we struggle with taking on too much of our plate. And I know for me, that has become my, like the things that I put, put on my plate have become my identity. Uh, that's something that I'm writing about currently. And, um, I, when I was without those things, I really struggled to find my identity. And I was really wrapped up in like, what, you know, what, why, why do I not feel fulfilled? And it's like, well, that's because like, I was filling my, my heart with things that weren't from God. And I, I was, too stressed all the time. I mean, it just, and then whenever that stuff wasn't there, it was like, my body was so used to having those on my plate that I, I was kind of like having to readjust to them, not being there almost like withdrawals. Um, but you talk about this idea of too, doing too much. And I guess we'll kind of start first with when we do have way too much on our plate and we're trying to take on too much. I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but from a clinical and, and scientific standpoint, how much can that affect our mental health? You know, we, we talk about it in the context of burnout when it comes to mental and emotional health. And you see so many people who are otherwise healthy, but the weight of all of the different things that they think they can do is starting to affect them because stress doesn't just come from bad things. That's what people don't get. Stress comes from good things, really I've got good that things. on my note card right here at the bottom. Good things can cause stress. <laughs> yes. And so one of the stress inventories I have you go through in the book, the raw Holmes stress inventory. And, and basically what it is, it's a list of different things that can cause stress. And based on the number you get, it can predict whether or not you'll have a physical slash mental breakdown within the next two years based on the amount of stress that you have. Mm -hmm. So things like a wedding is up there in stress mm -hmm. just as much as a divorce. And wow. you, you might not think about that because you're like, oh yeah, divorce is way more stressful. Having a child, losing a child, they're both up there, you know, your work and, and the struggles with work and all of these different things that Sometimes we think of our great, like, oh, sweet, I got a book deal. Well, that's exciting, but it's also stressful. Oh, awesome. I get to go speak here and do this. Well, that's great, but it's also stressful. There's a baseline level of stress that comes with all these things. And too many good things will cause the same reaction as too many bad things. And I don't think people understand that. We're just looking at, well, are there bad things happening in my life? Is there grief? Is there a loss? Is there trauma? 
But what about all the positive things, the good things? We're climbing up the ladder, we're succeeding, but are we taking the time to, to, to check in and actually take care of ourselves? I think self-care is an important word and one that really gets brushed under the table. Sometimes people think it's an anti-Christian word, like, ooh, self-care, that's so selfish. We don't need anything but Jesus. But we're not talking about it in a selfish way. We're talking about it in a, a healing way. I mean, even Jesus took the time to care for himself, to get away, to be filled up. Because how can you continue to give when you're empty? Yeah. And just like we talked about a few minutes ago, we don't often pay attention until we get too empty. Yeah. But once we get to empty, we're already functioning out of an unhealthy place, you yeah. know? So, so really look, checking in before that point. I mean, like, let's do an assessment. Let's whoever, if you're listening today, take the time to just stop and do an assessment of what you've got going on in your life right now. Especially as they're listening to the show that, I mean, the, like I said earlier, the title of it is in no hurry. And the, the whole idea of that is it, it was birthed out of a season of my life where I was insanely busy when we were changing, uh, I was changing jobs and we were changing cities. And I was kind of like, holy cow, like I'm able to peel back. And I realized that I was having such a hard time creating like margin in my life. And, and that's, I guess, kind of where I wanted to go next with this was why, why do we maybe for like for me, I'm an, an Enneagram four with a wing three. And so the wing three oftentimes will cause me to want to pour myself into a lot of things, try to do more and achieve more. Cause I see the success or the production as something that is like valuable, you know? And I think anybody, whatever Enneagram number they are at or that, that they are on the, on the Enneagram scale, they're going to, they can struggle with creating margin or, or taking on too much. So why, why is it something where, you know, maybe we feel, either feel like we can, or, is there a psychological reason to why we want to take on so much? Is it, is it part of it an avoidance thing or do we just have trouble saying no? Is it maybe a mixture of all of it? Well, for different people, it's going to be a different answer because at the end of the day, why we say yes to too many things is rooted in something. Mm -hmm. So what is it rooted in? That's the question. For some people, it's it's rooted in a performance-based value. It's like, I am valuable when I accomplish. For other people, it's rooted in, they, they don't want to be, they want to be busy because they don't want to be quiet. They want to stay distracted and maybe not deal with some of the emotional things going on underneath the surface. For other people, it's because they don't have boundaries. They, they don't want to disappoint people. So they don't want to say no, because it feels like they're letting people down and they don't want to let people down. So they're going to say yes to everything so that there's no conflict in their life and everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. The root of our yes is the key. You can't just start saying no, no, I'm not going to do this anymore because just saying no might be a temporary fix. But if the root of why you say yes, isn't dealt with then you're going to start saying yes again in a couple months. You know what I mean? Like maybe you'll right. do a, some people like they get so overwhelmed. They pull away from everything for a season. I'm not doing anything. I'm clearing my schedule. Well, if I don't get to the root of why I have a tendency to do this to myself, I'm going to repeat the cycle in just a few more months, you know? Right. So, right. so in, in, are you really okay? I talk about the importance of getting to the root of your yes, because that's an important part. And for a lot of us, those roots begin to develop at an early age, the family of origin issues, the things we've experienced, our past, so much of how we act in the present is rooted in the experiences of our past. And I yeah. think, 
I don't think enough of us understand that the work that we're wanting to accomplish here in the present really starts with healing from our past. Yeah. What I love about this book is, is your approach to, I mean, getting to the root of so many different aspects of this. Cause I think for those of us that maybe we, we want to think about our mental health, at least I know that I'm guilty of maybe looking at it somewhat from a surface level. And I have the advantage of talking to my wife, who is a mental therapist. Not everybody has that, you know, where I can maybe have a deeper conversation where she can help me understand some things deeper. But I think from a general standpoint, for what I've seen in general conversations with people is, you know, we, we, we talk about those like, yeah, I mean, I'm saying yes to too many things, but I don't know that too many people have stopped and said, like, what is the root of that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's so important. And I know like for me, one of the reasons like at my last school where I taught by the third year that I was there, I finally had to start saying no to things. Cause I, and I was just like, look, if I say yes to any more stuff, it's going to take away from my ability to be effective at the other things that I've said yes to. Yeah. But then there was a, there was an aspect of that where I felt like I was being selfish. I felt like I was letting people down. And so I don't, I mean, just the, if, if people maybe feel resistance to like, in that sense, since I was, I was trying to take care of my own self, like there was a, an instance at the end of my last year teaching at that school where, and I wrote about this um, in, in the book that I'm writing about how I had, I had a pretty big breakdown. I had way too much going on in my plate. It was April of that school year. And I was, you know, I was a tennis coach. I was in charge of the yearbook and everything, everything was just coming to a head at the right time at the, at the I guess at the wrong time. And I just like had a big panic attack at dinner one time. And I was just like, I need to slow down. And that was sort of like the trigger point of like this next year, I need to take a year away from teaching and like really just kind of recalibrate. And it's kind of where this podcast was birthed, honestly. And so I was, but it was, you know, I was, I was feeling selfish that I said no. And so for maybe people that feel similarly, what would be your advice that, you know, it is okay to take care of yourself sometimes? Yeah. This sounds like a counseling session waiting to happen, (laughs) you know, because, because honestly, when you look back, you're going to find these experiential moments that you've had in your history where the message was drilled in your head that saying no, lets people down or, or not being available, lets people down or not giving everything you have is going to hurt people. Like you have this role that you're feeling that somewhere along the way you picked up as your role. Like uh, my job is to help people. My job is to pour out into people. And if I don't, I'm not filling my role. Like the message has come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think so many times what it, what it comes down to is for us to, to really get to that root of that message and, and look for experiences in our past where that message may have been downloaded or affirmed, whether or not it's a true message, but where was that affirmed in my life and my experiences? For example, I come from a a family of immigrants. My parents came from uh, Egypt to America and they had to work their butt off to -hmm. make it in this country. And they were Christians and they loved the Lord, but I watched them work so hard that somewhere along the way, I started believing the message that being a Christian, a good one means that you work hard. Like God wants me to perform, to produce, to accomplish. That's part of my, the value statement that I downloaded based on my family of origin. And so if I wasn't able to identify that, I wouldn't be able to fix it because a a big part of fixing it then is taking this thing that I have heard, this voice and comparing it to the voice of God the voice of truth 
and eventually starting to replace all of these narratives from my past with the narratives of God's truth. You know, we call that cognitive behavioral therapy when we talk about replacing lies with truth. But honestly, God thought of it long ago. Romans tells us to transform your thinking, you know? And so a, a, a big part of this is identifying the lies so that we can begin to replace them with truth. I love that. That is beautifully said. I did not know that the, the scientific name for that. What, what was it again? How did Cognitive you behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy. All right. I'll have to ask my wife about that tonight. Yep. CBT. <laughs> She'll know all about it. All right. And one thing I, you know, and I know that from talking to my wife about this and I, I have seen this even I, I, in my own life too, but you write about the relationship between our physical health and our emotional health. And I think like my wife has gone off of gluten, off of dairy and she was having all kinds of health issues that like she was trying to figure out what is the root of this? I mean, she was seeing all kinds of specialists and did a lot of research. She read the book, um, grain brain, which talks about the effect that grain has on our brain health and all kinds of stuff like that. And it was really, I listened to parts of it whenever we were in the car together and it was really intriguing to hear just the effect that food can have on our, on our physical health, but also our emotional and mental health. And, uh, you talk about that in this book, but it basically is saying like, you know, before like you use the idea of like you know, with one of your clients, before you got to working on their mental health, they said, first, let's get the physical body healthy so that you can feel prepared to fight whatever your mental health battle is. How much do, do, does your mental health and your physical health really correlate to where it, you can't really have one without the other. It seems like you can't, I mean, healing is holistic and of all the different parts of who we are, the body mind connection is the most scientifically proven. Like when you struggle in your body, you're going to struggle in your mind. Just think about after you've had a rough night of sleep, you know, mm -hmm. the next day you're a different person. You're not functioning as well. You're grumpy. You're not reacting as quickly. You're not able to concentrate. Like your emotions might feel a little bit off. And that's just one night of not sleeping well, you know, like mm -hmm. that just gives you a glimpse of the body mind connection. And there's so many things that really help us physically that can help us mentally and emotionally, such as sleep and diet and exercise, you know, watching our schedules, making sure we're not burnt out. Like all of these things go together. I mean, there's so much research behind it. And some of it I outline in the book as well, but I think the key is really looking at these four areas, emotional health, spiritual health, mental health, and physical health, and asking the question, like, where do I need to start? For some people, the answer is going to be, I need to start on my physical health. I've really let that go. And, and that's where I'm going to start. For other people, it's, I need to start with my emotional health. For other people, they look at all four and they're like, I need to start with all of these but what's the next practical step for you? That's what I want people to kind of look at this in a bite-sized way. What's the next layer of healing? Which one of these areas is the most significant in your life right now that's affecting you the most and begin the process of healing there. You know, it's going to look different for each person, but that's the beautiful thing about it. Even if you start with mental health, because healing is holistic, you're impacting all the other areas as well. If you start with physical health, because healing is holistic, you're going to make a dent in the other areas as well. It's a journey. Yeah, man. I love that. I love, I, I know like there's, there's a lot of practical steps in this book. I'm, I'm glad that, that I've gone through this because 
there's a lot of practical steps that I know that I'm ready to kind of take after, you know, this past year, it's been heavy on everybody. And I've, I've never actually like gone and my wife has been like, Cole, you really should should go and see a therapist, you know? And I, I, whenever I was younger, when my parents went through divorce, I I did go to to them when I was younger, but even now as an adult, it's like, I I really, you know, my job is really stressful as a teacher, especially after this past school year. Like I I think I'm at the point now where I kind of want to start like looking into doing that because I know that it's, it is important and we, we, we work out regularly. And it's like you said, I mean, you can't really have one without the other. And there's no reason why we, we shouldn't also prioritize our mental health the same way that we want to prioritize our, our physical so health. True. As well. It's so true. And honestly, even though, even you just mentioning divorce, just to me as a therapist, I think, well, there's a lot of narratives you learn coming from a family of divorce of what your role is in keeping things together and making peace and what your role is. And then you carry those roles into mm-hmm. life and how you live your life, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot there and healing is not a once and done process. It's right. like, it happens in layers. It's like, I, I may have healed from some of those layers when I was a teenager. That doesn't mean that there's not more layers that come up as an adult, you know, it's one layer at a time. And it doesn't mean you're going backwards with each layer. You're moving forwards. You're becoming better. You're revealing something that's more pure and sacred. And mm-hmm. I just think it's a beautiful process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, there's, there's a lot here. I don't know that we're going to have time to get to everything that I wanted to talk about because we've had so many good things already. One of the, the lines that you wrote that I really liked that stood out to me, it said it was emotions are meant to signal us, but not lead us. And I think you were talking about, this was earlier on in the book, I think, and you were talking about how a lot of people will act based on emotions and how they feel yeah. about things. And, um, it, it, when you, 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 we know that, but then it's like, I read that and I was just kind of like, man, like when you read it from that perspective, you see how often people do like, Oh, I didn't feel like I was going to, like, I was thinking about it just from the perspective of the book that I'm writing about comparison. Like, somebody might feel like they're just not good enough to make the basketball team. So they're not going to go and try out. They just feel like they wouldn't even have a chance. They want to save themselves the embarrassment or something like that. And uh, I love that line. And um, I guess, you know, the, what, what, how, what more can we add to that? I mean, emotions are, are emotions are meant to signal us, but not lead us. How do we allow them to signal us rather than lead us? Well, I think there's a, a practice here in, in understanding how emotions work. And, you know, when we talk about emotional health and are you really okay in that section, I kind of break it down into three, three main points, really chapter one, two, and three, I would say if chapter one is about understanding your emotions and chapter two is about expressing them, then I would say chapter three is really about questioning them. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just take them for what they are. Like, they're a signal, but sometimes it's a faulty signal. They are an alarm, but sometimes they're a false alarm, right? So the key is, is realizing that our, our emotions are real, but they're not always true. You know, they're not always true. And learning to differentiate the truth versus what my emotions are telling me is such an important part of the process of being an emotionally healthy person. Like mm-hmm. I can differentiate, is this anxiety actually a signal because there's something dangerous or is this anxiety a false alarm and I just need to push through you know if I always trusted my anxiety I'd probably never do a speaking engagement you know what I mean like I'd probably never leave my house in fear something would happen to my kids that doesn't mean it's a true thing so 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 really 
learning to question our emotions is a really important part to emotional health. I love that. Well, Deborah, uh, I got one more question for you. This is the, the question I always love to ask my guests at the end. The show is called In No Hurry. And I always love to ask people, and this is, I think, especially pertinent for this conversation, but when life does get super busy for you, what are some ways that you kind of relax and, and, and peel back so that you don't feel so hurried and are able to create some margin in your life? Yeah, you know, in this season, I, I've been doing so much mental output with the launch of a book and speaking. And, you know, I think I did 70 interviews in like 30 days. Like I know it was hard to schedule you. Output. You were so busy. <laughs> that type of mental output. So for me, I balanced that out with a lack of mental output. And in this season, it literally means Netflix and chill yeah. <laughs> in, in the literal sense. And sometimes in the figurative sense, because, yeah. you know, my husband and I love to hang out. Yeah. And um, I will say, you know, I've learned that when you're in a season of emotion of mental expenditure, you need to be off. Like reading books is so great. I love reading, but when I'm in a season of mental output, I don't need any more mental stimulation. So sometimes yes. I just yeah. need to watch a movie. And, and a fiction movie at that, not even a documentary. <laughs> like Exactly. Like something funny, to, like an Adam Sandler stupid movie or something. Yeah. Something that just requires no emotional or mental output. Yeah. And that's so helpful for me. Sitting at the beach, going on a walk in nature, like whatever it is that requires me not to have to think um, and work in that way is just so helpful to find that balance. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's how I have felt this year writing this book. It, I, I'm like, I want to just sit and veg out. I have not read as much as I would have liked to. I came into the year thinking I was going to read like 30 books. And I think I've read maybe like 12 to 15, which is still good. But I was just like, you know, I, sometimes I just can't, can't do it. So I think that's so true. You know, in busy seasons, it's nice to just slow down and throw on a dumb it's, movie. It's, and It's not even just nice. It is necessary for there me. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, well, Deborah, well, what are some, what are some ways that people can connect with you and then where can they buy this book? I assume it's anywhere that books are sold, but how can they get this book and how can they connect with you if they want to, to reach you on social media? Yeah. Right now you can find me on Instagram at Deborah Fileta, F-I-L-E-T-A. And my, I have two websites. The, the book website is areyoureallyokay.com. And you can find that podcast series I mentioned and information about the book. And then my um, main website, it's a relationship advice website. It's called truelovedates.com. You can find my blog there, articles, podcast episodes, whatever. Um, so truelovedates.com and Deborah Faleda. Well, great. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for joining me. This was a, a great conversation and I really appreciate your willingness to write this book and share your insights from your profession. And I, I think this is just such a necessary book, such a necessary topic for us to talk about. And just thank you so much for joining the show and talking yeah, about it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Such good stuff from Deborah. I know that I personally needed to hear a lot of this stuff. So I hope that it was as encouraging and inspiring to you as it was for me when I got to talk to her. So thank you for joining us this week. I really hope you pick up her book, 
Are You Really Okay? Make sure you check out her website, her socials that she just mentioned. I'll have it linked in the show notes as well, so you can check that out. But please make sure you reach out to her. If you enjoyed this episode, let her know. Let her know that you enjoyed hearing from her and that you learned a little something during this episode. I know that she would probably appreciate that. So make sure you check out her book too, Are You Really Okay? You can find all the links for everything to connect with her to buy the book in the show notes. As always, I would love it if you took the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts for this show. It really does help people know if this is a show that they want to listen to. If they check out the ratings and the reviews, they can see if people have liked the show. It's kind of like an Amazon review. So if you know what that's like whenever you go to buy a product, it's kind of the same way with podcasts. It really does help people discern if they've never heard of the show, if they're looking for shows, if this is one that they would want to listen to. So if you don't mind, take the time to leave a review. It would help me. I know that it would help other people who are looking for this show too. I'd also love for you to connect with me. If you aren't already, you can find me at Cole Claiborne on basically every social media platform. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. On Facebook, I am Cole Douglas Claiborne, so you can search me and find my author page. Like that page. You can find my personal page. Send me a friend request. Just I would love to connect with you one way or the other. That way you can follow any of my writing that I publish or uh, podcasts that I put out. That way you're staying connected with anything that I do. Just would love to connect with people who are listening to the show. One other way that you can stay connected is if you go to coleclaiborne.com, you can sign up for my newsletter right there at the top of the page. You'll find the newsletter tab. It'll take you to a spot where you can sign up. I usually will send out periodic devotionals and other articles and then also uh, kind of a recap of my podcast. Come right to your inbox. That way you never miss anything that I do. Um, If you're interested in the content that I'm producing, that'll be an easy way to stay connected. But again, thank you for joining me. Hope you'll come back next time in a couple weeks. And in the meantime, hope you guys find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you next time out.